Republicans in Congress are taking the first steps toward their long-sought goal of repealing the Affordable Care Act, but they're using a parliamentary maneuver that involves adopting a huge budget resolution in order to avoid seeing their effort get derailed by a Senate filibuster. That'll probably mean some tough votes on unrelated provisions and maybe disagreements within the GOP over what's more important, striking President Obama's top legislative legacy or keeping the deficit in check. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ budget reporter Paul Krawczak and health care reporter Aaron Mershon. Paul, you live and breathe this every day, but help those of us who aren't so familiar with the process. What is reconciliation, and why is it so advantageous for Republicans for this purpose? So reconciliation is an expedited procedure, and it's connected to a budget resolution. To think about uh, uh, legislation passing in the Senate, it typically takes 60 votes for legislation to pass in the Senate. Reconciliation is a procedure that allows legis- budget-related legislation to uh, pass with a simple majority, 51 votes. In order to use reconciliation, the House and Senate have to adopt a budget resolution, and that has to have reconciliation instructions. And once that's adopted, then committees can draw up a reconciliation bill, which is a budget-related bill, and that bill can pass in the Senate with just 51 votes. If we look back to the Affordable Care Act uh, back in 2010, uh, that act was passed uh, partly with help from reconciliation. Um, So that created the Affordable Care Act with help from reconciliation. So what Republicans want to do is use reconciliation to repeal the Affordable Care Act. It's ironic that the, it was, the maneuver was used to create it, or at least a big portion of it, and now it might be used to scrap it. And also we should point out Republicans have 52 seats now in the Senate, so they don't need any Democratic crossover to, to pull this off. Right, but they also uh, can't lose many votes. Uh, they need 51 to pass the budget resolution. So this process sets up what we call around here a votorama, possibly an all-nighter on the Senate floor, during which senators can offer amendments to this budget document on uh, practically any subject, whether or not it's related to health care. How is this going to unfold? Sketch it out. Right. The Senate is debating uh, the budget resolution right now, and next week there will be votes on the budget resolution and the votorama probably on Wednesday. The votorama is unique to the Senate and to the Senate budget resolution, and under the votorama, there can be unlimited amendments to the budget resolution. They are considered very quickly, but there can be unlimited amendments. So the votorama normally goes um, all night, and what happens during a votorama is typically uh, there are a lot of very political partisan amendments offered, which are uh, aimed at hurting the other party in the next election or embarrassing the other party. So Democrats are working on their voterama strategy, and uh, they will certainly try to put the uh, Republicans on the spot as much as possible. Maximum pain, uh, votes on things like abortion, family planning, this sort of thing, not inconceivable. Right, and especially relating to the Affordable Care Act and health care. Right, right. Uh, The process is uh, maybe more straightforward in the House of Representatives. Uh, That chamber's rules give the majority so much more power. When will the House of Representatives take up the budget resolution? Well, it could take up the budget as soon as next week, although it possibly could drag on a little bit. And um, 
typically what happens with a budget resolution is the House will draw up its budget, its own budget resolution. The Senate will draw up its own budget resolution. They will pass those, and then they will conference them. This year is very unusual. Uh, what's happening here is the Senate put together the budget resolution. It's debating it. It will pass it, send it to the House. Uh, the House is not putting together its own budget resolution. When the House gets the Senate budget resolution, it will not go to the House Budget Committee. It will go straight to the House floor after a rule. Mm-hmm. And and the idea is for the House to be able to pass it without any amendments, to just pass it, and then it's done. Interestingly, uh, Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, has been criticizing the package. He says it'll add trillions of dollars to the deficit, and he's trying to rally some House conservatives to his side. Uh, is he one voice in the wilderness, or would more sacrifice this Obamacare slaying tool in the name of Republican budget orthodoxy? Well, so among Senate Republicans, he's on an island, as some people have put it. He's the only Republican who's going to oppose the budget resolution in the Senate. Uh, th- there are some conservatives in the House who may side with him, uh, but what we're hearing from lawmakers and staff as well is that the budget resolution is likely to pass the House uh, pretty easily. Now, Rand Paul's objection, and this is another interesting thing about the budget resolution, past budget resolutions have balanced within 10 years. They have assumed trillions of dollars of spending cuts, which would balance the budget within 10 years. Republican leaders this time wanted to make this budget resolution very short and very simple and very easy to pass. So they did not assume any spending cuts. They used the revenue and spending projections of the Congressional Budget Office. And so those projections are based on current law, and under current law, the, the national debt would increase by about $9 trillion over the next 10 years. So Rand Paul's objection is that this is a budget resolution that shows uh, increases in the debt. It does not balance the budget. Uh, what other Republicans would say, though, is the sole purpose of this budget resolution is to serve as a vehicle for repealing the health care law. It's, it's not to chart a fiscal path for the future. Right. And we're talking repeal. This primarily deals with scrapping or taking out big parts of Obamacare, not the replace part, which Republicans say they're going to do next. Uh, could the GOP use the same process, reconciliation, for that phase next year? They could use reconciliation for at least part of replacement legislation. Now, it's possible that when they draw up this repeal bill early this year, that they could actually put some elements of replacement in that bill. It's also possible that they could wait until the next budget resolution, the fiscal 2018 budget resolution, which will be considered in the spring, and that will have reconciliation instructions. And it's possible that those reconciliation instructions could be used partly for replacement. So those are both possibilities. So what will happen the day after they actually pass a reconciliation bill that repeals Obamacare? So it's a very good question. One of the things about reconciliation is for reconciliation to work, you really need one party controlling both chambers of commerce, uh, both chambers of Congress, rather, um, and also having the presidency because you need the House and the Senate to pass the 
the reconciliation bill first, and then the president has to sign it. So what happened last year was the House and Senate passed the reconciliation bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but then President Obama vetoed it, which is what they expected to happen. So that last bill, um, that repealed as much of the health care law as they thought they could use reconciliation to repeal. It repealed all the taxes. It repealed most of the spending provisions. It did extend the Medicaid expansion and the exchange subsidies for a couple of years. So that's what happened last year. So the original thinking was that they would use almost the same reconciliation bill this time because the one last year, it passed both chambers. It passed muster with the Senate parliamentarian. So the thought was, let's just do the same thing again. That's the easiest way to pass it. So now, what they're, they're shooting with real bullets this time. President Trump will actually sign this repeal bill. And there are concerns that if you just repeal the health care law right away, that this could cause real tumult within the insurance markets. So they are considering making changes, possibly keeping some of the taxes to continue to pay for some of the benefits, um, possibly keeping the cost-sharing subsidies that insurance companies receive to be able to provide relief to low-income uh, recipients um, of the health care law. This repeal bill might look a little bit different and they might even include some elements of replacement legislation in this repeal bill. This is all up in the air right now. Leaders are talking about this behind closed doors. The key thing, though, at the end of the day, this repeal bill has to pass muster with the Senate parliamentarian. And so any changes they make, they have to make sure that those are going to be okay with, with Senate rules. Aaron Mershon, it seems the GOP isn't quite of one mind yet on what to do next. How can that be after they've taken 60-plus repeal votes on Obamacare? Yeah, Adriel, first, thanks for having me. And you're absolutely right. And just as Paul said, too, this is the first time that this is really going to be real. This is going to head to a president's desk, and instead of getting vetoed, it's going to be signed. And that really changes the calculus for a lot of people. Um, and I, I think you know, they're considering what their constituents are going to feel, you know, losing health care that they've been given in the last uh, few years here that they've had for six years now, losing subsidies to, to pay for that health care. So it's, it's a big change. And, and I think now that there's sort of a, a reality is sinking in that they're that this will affect their constituents, it's changing how they feel and, and what they're thinking about what to do. And, and you're right, there's there's just not a lot of consensus out there in in either chamber or among leadership, among the leaders um, who, who work on health care issues, they don't know yet exactly what parts of the law they want to repeal, let alone what they're going to replace it with down the line. There's a big debate over whether to include Medicaid expansion, whether to repeal it or not repeal it. Another debate, like Paul was mentioning, about whether to keep some of the taxes in place to use them down the line. And then also a debate about, you know, if they put a transition in place between repeal and when they eventually implement a replacement, they don't know how long that transition is going to be. So it's a, a, lot of, a lot more questions than answers right now. Yeah, there seems to be a rift between uh, GOP leadership and the more conservative members, especially in the House, about how long that transition period is, is needed, how long you need to shift to a new system. Uh, who's 
going to prevail? I would say it's almost a bigger rift than that. I think on one side, you have very conservative members who maybe want to go just for six months or even want um, a replacement to take effect almost immediately. Um, on the other hand, I think there's some moderate members who maybe remember how long it took to start debating the health care law last time all the way through implementation, who've talked about maybe a three- or even four-year replacement. But And then I would say in all my interviews on the Hill this week with staffers, with members of Congress, no one had any real idea. They're still saying, oh, it could be one, two, or three years. We don't know. So it's very much up in the air. Um, if I had to wager a guess, though, I do think two years is a pretty safe assumption, if only because the last time they um, passed a reconciliation bill to repeal Obamacare, the one that Paul mentioned that was vetoed, that included a transition period of two years for certain parts of that law. And sort of, as you know, with Congress, it's a little easier to do things you've already done before than to start something new. (laughs) You both mentioned taxes. What Obamacare taxes might Republicans uh, be likely to keep just to have some revenue coming in during a transition? So there are a couple of taxes that were included in Obamacare that are perhaps unsurprisingly very unpopular with the industries that have to pay them. Um, You can think specifically of the medical device tax. The medical device industry would really like not to pay that tax. Similarly, there's a health insurance tax that insurers are lobbying hard even right now to try to get an immediate repeal of that tax, claiming that it will um, cause premiums to go up if they have to start paying it, that sort of thing. And then there's sort of the the big whammy is the Cadillac tax, um, which is a tax on sort of more expensive health care plans, a huge thorn in almost every member of Congress's side. Business groups hate it. Labor groups hate it. Almost universally despised, except by some economists who really see it as a way to cut health care costs over the long term. Um, but the Congressional Budget Office has scored the Cadillac tax in the past as a real revenue raiser. So it's a hard one to deal with. And I could definitely see them kind of kicking that can down the road as well. That was one of the last uh, taxes to kick in in the implementation of the, of the law. Uh, so we've, we're at this point now. It's a really pivotal point. Any sign of cold feet, any sense the Republican leadership is, is maybe rushing things too much? I am starting to get a sense that there are folks out there with some cold feet, perhaps not cold feet about repeal itself, but maybe about how quickly they're moving. I'm sure Paul described they're putting in place a very quick and very speedy timeline to try to get at least repeal done. Um, And and it's a timeline that won't give them a lot of time to start talking about replacement before they have to vote on repeal. Um, So you've seen a couple of Republicans, especially in the Senate this week, First Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Tom Cotton of Arkansas have both come out saying they want to vote at the same time on replacement or and repeal, or they at least want to see a framework, um, perhaps, of what that replacement is going to look like before they have to choose, are we you know, ready to repeal this law right away? Um, and, and I will tell you, you know, I've heard similar concerns, perhaps not as emphatic, but similar concerns from a long list of senators, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, Bob Corker of Tennessee, Susan Collins of Maine, Jerry Moran of Kansas, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. It's a growing list of, of folks who are at least worried that they're, they won't know what's going to come um, with a replacement plan, um, and they'll, have to be, they'll be asked to vote on repeal rather quickly here. What's important to note there is that In the Senate, at least, leadership can really only afford to lose two votes on this measure. Um, You could get a 50-50 vote and Vice President-elect Mike Pence could come in and break the tie. But I just listed off, you know, seven senators, and I'm sure it's a growing group. That's a lot of people that are at least expressing concerns here. So it's something I think they'll have to think about in the coming weeks. Um, And and there's also some indications that the conservative members in the House may also want to see. I know... um, the House Freedom Caucus Chair Mark Meadows was speaking this week about how he may want to also see a replacement plan before he votes on repeals. 
CQ Healthcare reporter Aaron Mershon and budget reporter Paul Krawczak on the drama and machinations leading up to the expected repeal of President Barack Obama's health care law. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts. Have a good week.